So Psalm 45, um, on page 569 of the Bibles. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with with splendor and majesty. In your majesty ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honoured women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honour him, for he is your lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favour. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her. Those brought to be with her, led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. If you'd like to open your Bibles at um, Psalm 45, we'll be studying it together. Psalm 45, like um, many of the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, has, has layers, it has two main layers. We, we see in Psalm 45 the present, and what we have is a wedding, a royal wedding, and it's between a person of that time. There's been great debate, as there always is, as to who it actually was. But the consensus of opinion is that it was between King Solomon and the bride, the princess, that he took from Egypt, and that is, is written about in 1 Kings chapter 3. But as with Scripture so very often, it speaks of more than that. And in what we have in Psalm 45, it, it speaks of the future. It speaks of, of, of the wedding of all weddings and, and the ultimate royal wedding between Christ and his bride. And, and we can be confident that that's the case because the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, refers to this very psalm. So keep your fingers in Psalm, in psalm 45 and, and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. 
and verses 8 and 9. And there this, this psalm is quoted in referring to the Son. And it's in the passage, the Son is superior to the angels. The writer to the Hebrews then says in verse 8, But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. The writer to the Hebrews is saying that this verse in Psalm 45 refers to the Son, the Son of God, to Jesus Christ. So we can be confident in looking at Psalm 45 that, that this, the second layer is referring to the Son. We'll look at both layers tonight because we should do that as we study the Word of God together. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, after he'd risen from the dead, realized that understanding the Scripture wasn't a straightforward thing. Remember the time when he was walking with the two on the Emmaus Road at the end of Luke's Gospel? They, they just didn't get it. And he was revealing things to them and, and they just didn't understand it. And then after that, he appeared to his disciples and, and they couldn't grasp it. And he began to reveal to them what was written about him in the prophets and the Psalms. So much is written about Christ in the Psalms. And then there's that wonderful verse at the end there. They said, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. We serve that risen Lord Jesus Christ tonight. He is alive and he needs to open our minds to understand the scriptures. So let's just pray together. Our risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ, as you open the minds of those disciples to understand the scriptures, we pray that tonight by your spirit you would open our minds to understand the scriptures, not so that we're clever, but so that we know you in a better way and serve you in a better way and are more able to glorify our great God whom we worship tonight. Amen. So Psalm 45, it's a, it's a wedding. It's a royal wedding and it's between the king and his bride. And that, that's the separation of the psalm. The, the, the writer to this psalm, first of all, he extols the king. And in those oriental weddings, it wasn't the bride who was the center of attention. It was the king. It was, it was him in his glory. So the, the, the center of this psalm, the attention is upon the king. And then we also look at the bride and see how beautiful she is. So, so, so the, the, the writer to this psalm, and we don't really know who it is, that in the introduction there it says it's to the director of music, to the tune of lilies, whatever lilies was, and it's of the sons of Korah. So one of the sons of Korah wrote this song and it tells us it's a wedding song. And in verse 1, the, the, the psalmist introduces how he felt. And he said, my heart is stirred. Look at verse 1 together. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. He is writing these verses, speaking these verses to the king. And he said, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. Something with it was within him was stirring him to write these words. And unbeknown to him, the Spirit of God was stirring within him to write of things that speaks of generations to come, of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, who he's speaking to in verses 8 and 9 is the Lord Jesus. And this, it says, my heart is stirred by a noble theme. 
And then verses 2 to 9, we, we have this, this description of the king. And if it's speaking of Solomon, then Solomon was a great king. There were, there were, none of the kings of, of Israel were greater. Israel was at the peak of its power. And there was peace in his time. And he had the most money that ever there was. And Solomon was a great and a mighty king. And, and people looked to him with respect. And he judged and he ruled the nation of Israel in, in such a way that's the envy of the kingdoms round about. So we see in verses 2 to 9 the character of the king. And, just, and bear in mind as we're looking at these, you will, they'll be applied to you, of the second layer of this, of this, this psalm. So, so the character of king, verse 2 there, that the psalmist says, You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. This was true of Solomon. He was an excellent man. And his lips were certainly anointed with grace because we have this, the, the, the Proverbs to prove it. Nothing is wiser than the words of the Proverbs. So there he is, verse 2. He's an excellent man. His speech has been anointed with grace. Then we see there his power and authority, verse 3. Verse 3, gird your, gird, gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. Verses 4, in majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility and justice. Let, let your right hand achieve these awesome deeds. And then verse 5, let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. He is a powerful king. He is a king with supreme authority. And then notice too his, his regality, his majesty. There was something utterly splendid about this king. He, he oozed majesty. We see it there in verse 3 again. It said, clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. Verse 4, in majesty, ride forth victoriously. In, in verse 5, we see, let the nations fall beneath your feet. He is a majestic king. He didn't have to make excuses. Just his very presence was majestic. And I'm sure that was true of Solomon. People came into his presence and there was this mighty king. You just realized this guy had majesty oozing from him. And then we see something about this king in verses 4. His character, his purpose. Verse 4, look at verse 4. In, in your majesty ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. And verses 6 and 7, we read there of his righteousness. Verse 6, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions. It, th this king wasn't there just to gain land, to gain wealth to gain further authority. He had that. He was there to rule with truth, with humility, with justice. He loved righteousness. He hated wickedness. This is a good king, isn't it, to, to have over your nation? These, these things here, truth, humility, justice, the love of righteousness, the hatred of wickedness. Wouldn't we wish that our leaders had some of these incredible God-given attributes. 
And then we see of this king, his standing in verse, in verse 2. You are the most excellent of men. And since God has blessed you forever, then right at the end of verse 17, we see that the nations will praise you forever and ever. Now, we know that to be true of our Lord, but, but to Solomon too, the other nations came. And they praised him and they realized what a great king that was. So verses, verses 2 to 9, the king, what a, what a character he was. What a great king we have in these verses. And Solomon was a great king. He went off beam a tiny little bit right at the end of his life. But for the majority of his life, Solomon was, was a great king. Possibly the greatest king in the history of Israel. But this king was a shadow of the reality, the reality that we see in Jesus Christ. All these things are true of him, times a million percent. And, and this king is our king. Therefore, all these things that we're reading about are, are about him. And as we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and rest in him, he is mighty. He is powerful. He is great. We can trust and rely on him. This king that's talked about in these verses is Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. He is all this and more in speech. No one ever spoke like this man. That's what was said of him, wasn't it? When, when people heard his, his words and, and what he was got to say, no man ever spoke like this man spoke. And to me, it must have been wonderful to hear him speak. He spoke with authority, but he spoke with grace, with truth, with righteousness, with justice, with all those things. The poor loved to hear Jesus speak. And he is awesome in power and authority. They said of him, even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus spoke to the, to the wind on the storm. He said, be still. And it was still. He spoke to demons and they came out. Jesus' authority is, is supreme. In every way, Jesus has authority over everything. Therefore, as we rest in our king, we can rest with confidence, with assurance. There is nothing that has power or authority over him. Our king is mighty, almighty, all-powerful, but alongside of that, all-gracious with truth, with justice, with humility, with righteousness, he rules. And we, we kind of breathe a sigh of relief in that. This king that this psalm speaks about is Jesus. That we might rest in him. That we might have confidence together. So let's leave the king and go on to the bride. The royal bride, verses 9 to 15. Not so much, interestingly, is spoken about her character. It's more what she's wearing, which is interesting. But that's true when you apply that to the church. The church, her character, really doesn't stand up for much. But what she's dressed in is what makes her beautiful. We look at one another and sometimes we can pick holes at one another very, very easily. But when we see that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then we take on a different viewpoint to one another, don't we? We love one another because Christ has loved that person, because Christ has accepted that person. The royal bride is beautiful here because of what she wears. So, so let's see it. In, in verse 9, we see something of her position. Verse 9. Daughters of kings are among your, your honoured women. At your right hand, 
the king. At your right hand is the royal bride in the gold of Ophir. This, this Ophirian gold was the best. This was the gold of the gold. If you wore a ring or a bracelet or jewellery that, that's Ophirian gold, that was the business. So this bride is there at the right hand of the king wearing this most beautiful of gold. At your right hand, that's the place of highest honour. That's where the bride, that's her position. Do you remember that the sheep and the goats? Jesus talking about the sheep and the goats. The sheep who are on his right hand. The, super, the position of being at the right hand is the su- position of supreme authority, supreme importance. It's as close as it gets to the king. We talk sometimes, don't we? My right hand man. We sometimes speak that of our, our children, don't we? He's my little right hand man. He's right there. He's right close. And the bride here is at the right hand of the king. She couldn't get closer. Her position is right next to, as close as it gets to the king. And then what this psalm specializes in is her clothing. We have these incredible descriptions of her clothing. Verse 9, we have it again. Verse 9, that she's, she's dressed in the gold of a fear, this, this incredibly precious gold. Verse 13, all glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. Verse 14, in embroidered garment she is led to the king. This bride is a beautiful bride. She, she looks glorious in the clothes that she's wearing. And it must have been stunning. If it was in Solomon's days, these clothes would have been utterly stunning. She would have looked stunning as she came into the presence, brought into the presence of this royal wedding of her king. Jaws would have dropped. There would have been this intake of breath. Ah, oh, look at that bride. She is beautiful. Note her new life too. She, she's leaving something and she's taking up something else. Verse 10, the, the psalmist instructs the bride. He, he almost says to her, we see it there in verse 10, listen. The authorised version, I think, has incline your ear. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. There's a real play here on words. Listen, this is really important. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. In other words, you leave something behind. And then verse 11, let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honour him. What we have here is the leaving and the cleaving. The leaving of the old life and the cleaving to the new. Turn away from your old ways. And if it is this Egyptian princess, she has to leave behind the gods of Egypt and, 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 and the, the teaching of Egypt and to take on the God of Israel, the God of her king, and to honour her king. Then we see there in verse 11, the, the second part of 11b, about the king. She is to be devoted to the king. Honour him, for he is your Lord. Honour him, for he is your Lord. Well, obviously we can apply this to the Lord Jesus. We need to honour him because he is our Lord and our king. Note her beauty in verse 11a. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. This is what the psalmist is saying to this queen. She is beautiful. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Let him enjoy your beauty. And then verse 13. Let him with joy and gladness 
Let him with joy and gladness they enter the palace of the king. Joy and gladness is part of her beauty. She is pleasing to the king as she comes in. So what a bride. She must have been, I don't know whether you can imagine her there, she was a glorious bride. And she probably was. Far Eastern or Near Eastern ladies can be particularly beautiful, stunningly so. And as this young bride was brought before her king, she must have been stunningly beautiful. But she is just a shadow of the reality. The royal bride, the true royal bride, is the church, the people of Christ. We, if we are in Christ, are the royal bride. That's what the New Testament speaks of. The Bible often refers to God's people as his bride. It's a very common term that describes the people of God. Old Testament and New Testament alike. Revelation chapter 1 speaks of the, of the church coming down from heaven, the new Jerusalem. It's referred to as the bride of Christ, about to enter her wedding ceremony. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about husbands and wives. And, and, and the, the human marriage, this coming together of husband and wife, is but a shadow of Christ and his church. That's what it says to. And we as God's people are, are currently betrothed to Christ the King. We are precious to him. And believe it or not, we are beautiful to him. We are beautiful in, in the sight of God. We are being made beautiful. When that day comes, we will be without spot or wrinkle. There's plenty of spots and wrinkles, isn't there, as we look around and even look into our own hearts. But when that day comes, the work will be completed and we will enter his presence as his bride. And that's, that's what we look forward to. That's our hope. Just to finish the, 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 the psalm itself, verses 16 and 17, that speaks of royal descendants. It speaks of eternal praise. Verses 16 and 17, your sons will take the place of their fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you, king, forever and ever. So how can we, this evening, apply this to Bishop Hannington? It, it, it seems a strange psalm, doesn't it? How can we apply this? It seems so distant, doesn't it? Bride and groom, especially for us blokes, that we're going to be a bride one day. That just kind of doesn't sit that comfortably. Maybe for you ladies, it, maybe it sits more comfortably. But we can apply it by just first of all looking at the king. Our king is mighty. Therefore, just go, oh, Good. Be still. The next psalm speaks of be still. Be still in, the, in the, the power and the majesty of God. Our king is mighty. Be still and be calm. In the light of that, we, we live currently in a world of fear. Fear surrounds us. Fear of the future. I don't know whether you heard that little speech by... Um, the little, um, was it Norwegian girl, wasn't it? Greta Thunberg. Of this, the anxiety, the, the fear that the world is going to end. It's like terrifying. And, and there's groups of people who are terrified because of climate changes and stuff. We're at the end of the world. Fear grips people. Anxiety abounds. Whether it be politics, the climate change. Our, we're, we're afraid. We're, we're anxious about our personal worth. We're uncertain about the future. We're fearful of judgment, of violence when we go out. Fear abounds. And you speak to a lot of people today and they're scared. 
They're anxious, they're fearful, and sometimes they don't know what they're fearful about. But, but just fear can grip us. Fear can, can stop us doing things in life. Fear is a very strong thing, and fear abounds in our society today. And fear can be in the church, and it can stop us, and it can, it can halt us in our progress. But with Christ as our King, we needn't be afraid. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. There is nothing that he can't do. The world is going to end. The world is going to come to a, a, a cataclysmic end. But it's not mankind that's going to end it. It's going to be God. The God whom we worship. The God who is our king. He is the one, not mankind, that brings this world as we know it to its end. And as we rest in him, then what have we got to worry about? Nothing. He will keep us safe through that. He will bring us through whatever it is. The only thing that we have to fear is God. God himself. We should fear him in that holy kind of way, that respect, that honour your Lord. That's how we should fear God. We should fear him. Fear him if you're not in Christ. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. Come back to God through Jesus Christ and let him who will one day be our judge, let him be our saviour. Come on the inside. Let God, who will be your judge, be your saviour in Jesus Christ. Let him, who will one day declare us guilty and send some off to punishment, let that same one, that same voice, declare us righteous and forgiven. Now, right now, when we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven. God declares us righteous in his sight it's the most awesome of things and you think oh but I'm so bad you don't realise what I've done you don't realise where I am as we sing in that old hymn his blood can make the foulest clean his blood availed for me God is sovereign rest in him so number one point in application our king is mighty be still be calm okay Second point in application, our king is coming. Be ready. Our king is coming. Be ready. That's our hope. That's where we rest our hope. We don't rest our hope in tomorrow, our eternal hope, or the next day, or a better job, or, a, or more money, or a bigger car. We rest our proper hope in Christ's return because that's where it's secure. And when he comes, then and then alone, our, our whole purpose of, of God will be revealed. Then it will be completed what he's got to do in us individually and in the church as a whole. Until then, it's not complete. It's not perfect. But when that day comes, when Jesus Christ returns, it will be finished. It's secure. It's solid. When you're in Christ, you can be confident. But until that day of his return, I think it's going to be a bit of a bumpy road. The scripture makes it quite clear that our, our life is not promised to be easy, nor is it promised to be prosperous. When we're calm in Christ, then we're safe, then we're happy, we're joyful more than any others. But our hope will be fulfilled when Christ comes. Our King is coming. One day, like this King here, his bride will be presented to him. She will be brought to the King. And that's the ultimate fulfilment of these verses. One day we, the bride of Christ, shall be brought to our king. 
and we shall be beautiful too. Jesus Christ will return in a power and authority and majesty and every eye will see him and every knee will bow. That's what the scriptures tell us will happen. He will come. So second point, our king is coming. Be ready. Be ready. That's what the parables teach. That's what Jesus himself taught. Be ready. Be awake. Get your, get your wicks trimmed. Third point, our God, our King is God. This is what this psalm says. Much debate about this verse, about verse 8. Verse 6, sorry, verse 6. Much debate. Your throne, O God, the psalmist is speaking to the King, will last forever and ever. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Hebrews points that out. Hebrews takes that. Your throne, O God, referring to Christ, will last forever and ever. Many of the scriptures teach us that Jesus Christ is God. He is the the second person of the Trinity whom we worship. Our King is God. Therefore, be holy, because God is a holy God. So our King is God, be holy. Like this princess who was brought before the King, he deserves our utmost devotion and love. So where the psalmist in verse 10 says, listen, daughter, pay careful attention, forget your people in your father's house, let the king be enthralled by your beauty, honour him, for he is your Lord. Listen, pay careful attention, leave the world, leave our old life, our life of sin. Sometimes we like to just live as close to it as we possibly can. We, we kind of like to live in the grey area, don't we? Uh, we're, you know, pretty much a little bit in the light, but not too much. We don't want to be too extreme. Yet what the teaching is here is leave the world, leave it behind, put it to death, the New Testament tells us to do. We leave an old life and we cleave to God in, in, in utter devotion. We cleave to holiness, to obedience. Verse 11, honour him, for he is your Lord. And then thirdly, be beautiful, be beautiful. That's a challenge to some of us, isn't it? Be beautiful. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Be a beautiful Christian. How can we be beautiful Christians? And be a beautiful Christian now. Let the glory of God shine through you now. Let God's goodness and mercy and grace and all these lovely attributes flow through you now. Be a beautiful Christian. Make it your ambition to please him now in everything. We do and say and are. Wear the royal robes of righteousness. Wear the royal robes that he gives us. Help the church now, the people of God, to be a beautiful bride for Christ. We should beautify one another. Not that we should have nail bars at the front of the church or whatever it might be. But we should seek to beautify one another. We should seek to build one another up in our faith that is beautiful. We should foster love and graciousness. That's why the church is here. This is why people serve us in the church, that we might be being made beautiful for our king. Sometimes we have a tendency rather to make beauty than to bring one another out in a rash. I'm sure I've done that on many a time, but God is so patient and gracious. Let us, by our prayers and our love and our service in the kingdom, be beautiful ourselves, but seek to make one another beautiful too. 
there's a great challenge, there's a great joy, and God will help us to do that. So, in the application of this psalm, let's be still in the power and greatness of God. Whatever your problems are, whatever your worries, bring them to Christ. Cast your anxieties upon the Lord, for he cares for you. He does. You're his betrothed. Be ready. Be ready for when he comes. Maybe your lamps aren't trimmed. Maybe you need to put some oil in that lamp. Be ready for when he comes. Take that as a warning. Take that as a warning. Be ready. And then finally, be holy and seek to make one another holy too. In that way, we will be beautiful for our bridegroom when he comes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful psalm. We thank you that it speaks to us, it teaches us of a a time yet to come when we shall be that bride brought into the presence of our King. What a day that will be. There is something in our hearts, something in our spirits that, that shouts a loud amen to that, that sees maybe hazily, somewhat distant, that the truth of that we can almost catch the flavour, catch the, the, the scent of it. That, what, that day will come and we pray that it will come soon. And we pray that when, that when that day does come, we are ready for that day and we are holy. So that when you look upon us, we will be like this bride, beautiful. And that we will honour you and that our beauty will enthrall you. And we pray this, Lord, trusting in your strength to make us beautiful, trusting in your power to to bring into our lives this holiness and this righteousness that we long for there to be. And we pray in your glorious name. Amen.